Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian Nor. This is episode 107, Arsene Wenger's Football Tinkering. So it's been a minute since I've uh, actually produced and recorded a full podcast episode, but if you've been wondering what I'm doing in between, go to my Instagram page, Campfire Football. I've been producing some smaller one-minute-long videos on a topic that I just have something to say that doesn't require a full episode like this one and where I'm not interviewing somebody. So go check me out there if you're wondering what else is he up to because I am trying to be much more consistent in different ways about what I bring. But I want to save these episodes for something I can dive deep into. And this week, Arsene Wenger gave the world a headache once again. Yep, well, he made headlines this week when speaking about possible rule changes to football. And look, this has become an annual topic for people to argue about and for traditionalists to basically declare, the game's gone! Yeah, we frequently hear that IFAB and FIFA are conducting trials for different tweaks that might enhance the game. Most of these, they happen at the youth levels, like the under-21, under-17 Euros, for example. And if they work then they go through more scrutiny at higher levels. If they're completely ineffective or they just cause more problems, we rarely hear about them ever again. So we've been here before, right? If we look back, just take an example. There was the ABBA penalty shootout format that was basically smothered in the cradle, to be honest. It it, it made it a good ways through the youth levels and and made it to the professional game where it was tried out uh, in the EFL trophy and in the lower leagues in England. But it only really stuck around a year and a half and actually kind of just ended without a whimper when COVID hit and football went on break. When it came back, we never saw it again. I remember watching the 2017 Community Shield between Chelsea and Arsenal, Gunners winning 4-1 on penalties. And this was the first time that I had seen this penalty shootout format in use. So if you're confused about what ABBA means... Take Team A and Team B. The normal format is A, B, A, B, A, B. ABBA is, spell it like the Swedish pop band, it's A, B, B, A. The reason for this change is that in a sample of over 100 penalty shootouts, that researchers found that the team that kicked first was more likely to win, and the advantage was about 40 to 60%. It's not huge, but it's enough to make you say, well, if Basically, from the coin toss, one team is already at a disadvantage. Regardless of which side they're kicking or which fans are behind the goal, if they're at a disadvantage just because they go second, it makes sense that we would look for and try a system that creates a little bit more fairness and parity in that situation. But, you know, since it was binned, and probably because it caused more confusion than anything, we don't hear about it anymore. I mean, also, you have to imagine players out there trying to figure out, like, wait, is it, is it our turn? Is it my turn? Just because the pressure ramps up and they just forget. And you need the referees to say, no, 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 it's you. And then it, much easier when they just alternate. And I think that that was also easier for fans. Look, was it a bad idea? I really don't think so. I thought it was interesting to look to see if there was a way to make a penalty shootout feel more fair. The reality about penalty shootouts is, they are so diabolical in terms of the pressure that it's very difficult to figure out how you can create advantages or disadvantages. There's so many. Take Nathan Redmayne, uh, the Australian goalkeeper who took the water bottle of Peru's goalkeeper and threw it into the crowd. It had the instructions for the penalties on it. So, yeah, penalty shootouts are a different thing. But that was one rule change that came in that stuck around for a very small amount of time and was 
gotten rid of. Okay, so that should give fans a bit of relief and comfort that these rules and changes, they don't just show up from out of nowhere and stay forever, regardless of their popularity. That's that's not the way it works. I, I know that FIFA gets a lot of uh, flack for a lot of the decisions they make and a lot of things they've done, but they do listen to fans and I imagine they pay attention to pundits and social media and try to get a gauge of how people feel these changes and the ideas are being received. So recently, the one that really got people ramped up was the possibility of replacing throw-ins with kick-ins. Now, throw-ins have been used in football since the FA banned the kick-in option in 1863. This is so deeply rooted in the game as we know it. It's been around for more than, 100, more than a century and a half. Right, And so there's no surprise that everyone involved in the game would fear such a change because it would feel monumental, right? So why, why go there? Like, what, what would be the point of making this change? Arsene Wenger, who is the chief of development of football at FIFA, that's a pretty big job, I would imagine, based on the title. And Arsene Wenger is the one who just keeps popping up and talking about these different rules that he's looking at and that they're thinking about changing and tweaking. And here's what he said, quote, there are two big time wasters at the moment. That is throw-ins and free kicks and a little bit goal kicks as well, because when you play out now in the box, it can slow things down. That's what he said uh, last year. Now, the target, he said, is to make the game more spectacular and quicker and maybe even throw-ins you could play with your feet, but in a limit of five seconds, for example, things like that. But it has to be tested and then has to be accepted by the IFAB. Okay, so when he says, for example, things like that has to be tested and accepted, this is not something that is coming tomorrow. So everyone, don't panic. FIFA President Gianni Infantino added the same thing this week, saying proposals were made to test kick-ins. While we may be a bit skeptical on some of these measures, if some proposals are there to help the game, we will not know it before we look into it. So we will look into these proposals as well. Fair. You got to do the homework. I mean, we can't just say kick-ins are terrible, throw-ins are amazing. We cannot change this. It's, it's, it would be terrible for the game. It may be, but this is why they're going to trial it. They hope to find out at the lower levels before it has to be something that everyone involved in the top-level game gets upset about. Now, if we're removing throw-ins, no prizes for who comes to mind is probably the biggest opponent of this idea. <laughs> yep, obvious person is Liverpool throw-in coach Thomas Gronemark, who has branded the idea to eliminate throw-ins and replace them with kick-ins as, quote-unquote, a huge step back for football. Speaking to Sky Sports, he said, it would be the biggest mistake. They would be taking a beautiful thing away. But I'm 100% sure they will keep them because they will soon see if they trial that maybe the ball won't be lost as much with no pressure on the kicker and it will ruin the joy of the game for everyone. Interesting point. He also said, I don't think time-wasting is a problem with throw-ins. Why? Because if the team is time-wasting, it should be obvious to the referee. If you are using that time to create space, it should also be obvious that the time is being used to keep the ball by moving. They won't say it's time-wasting with corners because people understand that players need to have time to get into the right positions to receive the ball and that the kicker needs to be able to set the ball correctly. This time-wasting argument with throw-ins is not valid, he says. 
So, look, I concur with some of his sentiments. Uh, I don't totally agree that time-wasting doesn't happen when the ball goes out of touch on throw-ins because, to be honest, throw-in laws have been abused every single game in ways that become really almost egregious, especially late in a tight contest, right, where players will walk 10 yards up the sideline further than they were where the ball went out of play. Uh, they'll they'll do foul throws where they'll, they'll have their feet literally on the field. Their feet will come up. I mean, if you watch at the professional level, there are so many of these situations. And then they sort of stand there and look bemused at why is no one open? Why is I, I'm standing here with the ball? Someone get open. Give me an option. I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm a Reese James fan. But my goodness, is he good at delaying a throw in and making it look like there's no other option? Look, throws... Here's the thing about throw-ins. They have a max distance of about 15 to 20 yards. That's kind of where most players tap out of length of the throw. Then there's guys like Rory DeLapp who can launch the ball quite a bit further. But look, this is a very unique skill, and there's so few players that have actually unlocked this. Kick-ins would allow every single player on the field to be able to place the ball wherever they want, really. And that increases the likelihood that players will just be lumping balls into the penalty area, creating more aerial 50-50s, which is kind of ugly as a style, but also unsafe in terms of preventing concussions that are just a result of blunt tactics. That is not what we want. We we want to try and avoid that kind of a change to the game. So, you know, kick-ins, they have, you know, they've got their downsides for sure. Uh, there's also the question of offside. So right now, you cannot be offside from a throw-in, a rule that I actually quite like because it's all about transitions. Can you be clever and quick to take advantage of opponents that are sort of slow and dopey react and boom, you're in because someone was standing in the right position and you were quick. If players can kick the ball, should their teammates be onside from the restart? It's a, it's a good question because it creates a possible cherry pick. It creates the possibility of just running in behind, but... If you can't be offside, what what does this do to the game? Does it make it more exciting? I don't know. That's that is one of those things that they are trialing, and I would be fascinated to see how that works. Look, the thing about throw-ins is that they are, in my opinion, one of the most underrated set pieces in the game. Uh, maybe the kickoff is the only thing more underrated, in my opinion, as a set piece. But moving on, rarely do we talk about turnovers from a throw and how, frankly, patently ridiculous it is that players literally throw the ball away to the opponent. I mean, it's it's obscene that this happens, and it happens a staggering amount of the time. There have been a lot of studies done on this topic showing a range of percentage of success from throw-ins to retain possession. There's It's a pretty wide gamut, but the number of turnovers rises dramatically the longer it takes to put the ball back on the pitch. Any more than five seconds, and it's somewhere near around 70% from on an average from different studies that you lose the ball. So why would you want to take time, right? I mean, if the throw is taken quickly, there's a much higher likelihood that the player receiving it will have enough time and space to control it and the team to keep possession. The longer you wait, the more defenders arrive on the scene. So wasting time on a throw-in almost guarantees that you lose the ball. And then, which makes you wonder, why would players do this? Why would, if, if it's done just to break up the flow of play or actually waste time, by gaining yards, by walking up the sideline, then this is clear time-wasting. And frankly, this should be dealt with by officials. My one complaint is that officials allow players to do this kind of stuff routinely and, you know, eventually just give a quick wave, like, come on, let's get on with it. It's like, yeah, but 
first of all, they're taking forever. They are purposely taking time and walking up the field while doing so. All of this is time wasting. There should be some kind of way to deal with that. And when it comes to the time wasting thing, Gronemark does seem to side with Wenger on exploring how the clock should run, right? He says, he said this, he said, and besides, the easiest way to get around time wasting is to have 60 minutes of effective playing time. This happens in many other sports. We could do that in football. Kick-ins are not an argument against throw-ins regarding time wasting anyway. Now, yep, you will probably say this dude's just trying to protect his job, keep his paycheck, because he was brought to Liverpool to improve their throw-in statistics, and he did. And if you ask Jurgen Klopp, he'll tell you that is one of the reasons why they are so consistent and so good. Just one of the small, right? So thanks for that segue, Mr. Gronemark, because this is another one that uh, will also draw a lot of debate, the idea of the 60-minute clock. IFAB also announced trials on this to determine if a fair calculation of playing time after uh, data showed the ball was in play for only 55 minutes during the average Premier League match last season. This could see the introduction of a stop clock like the one used in basketball or some other sports. So, look, if the average amount of playing time from 90 minutes is 55, that's not good. That needs to improve, right? And, look, I have to say, if they changed it from 90 to 60, the first thing that came to my mind was this would have a dramatic impact on a lot of branding out there centered around the number 90. So, uh, that's for sure. But, look, that's a problem for later. That's one for social media to go after. But would it really improve the game? Look, I actually think we should be shooting for 70 minutes of active play instead of just 60. I think that can be done with certain changes to the rules. I do think officials need to be a little bit tighter on the way they deal with tactics deployed to just waste time. There's also other little tweaks that we could make. Uh, one idea I'm not opposed to is putting a time limit on taking of goal kicks and throw-ins. So if those are if free kicks, goal kicks, and throw-ins are, are some of the things that clog up time, you can put a time limit on them. It's similar to futsal, where you have five seconds five seconds to get the ball back in play. The goalkeeper has the ball in their hands. They have five seconds to get it in play, or they give up a corner kick, right? The, the count could start, let's say, the moment a player picks up the ball. As soon as they have it in their hands, they have five seconds to get it on the field. And the referee just kind of counts it off. Or as soon as the goalkeeper places the ball on the floor for the goal kick, now they've got five seconds, and that's it. They've got to get the ball in play. Of course, you know, people could point out, well, you know, what if the players delay the game by keeping the ball at their feet and not picking it up and waiting for players to get in and around and, and then picking it up to throw it in to wait for the count? What if goalkeepers are keeping the ball in their hands and waiting and waiting and then putting it on the floor to give themselves that extra bit of time. Well, look, referees can deal with this. This is where referees should be able to suss out a time-wasting element and regulate it. That's what they're there for is to regulate this part of these parts of the game so that people don't deploy tactics in cynical ways and just ruin the spectacle, right? But rule changes make people very uneasy. There's no doubt about it. And because of this, some of the arguments against them they can sound pretty foolish if given like further, deeper reflection. For instance, the biggest one for me was the five subs rule. Um, this has now been put in place, and I have no problem with it. Uh, it's annoyed a lot of people, and most of them just say, look, the gap between the big teams and the small teams is just going to get bigger because the big play teams can bring on f more fresh legs, and that just makes it unfair. 
And they're saying this without actually recognizing that there is another side to it. The other team can also bring on fresh legs. I'll just go through my basic example. I talk about this in one of my Instagram posts regarding the subject. But look, if Man City are playing against Fulham next season, Fulham are leading 1-0 with 10 minutes to play, and they've used three substitutions, they can bring on two more sets of fresh legs to try and get them over the line. If Man City started the game with Erling Holland, Kevin De Bruyne, Riyad Mahrez, Phil Foden, and Rodri, and they're putting on Julian Alvarez and Alexander Zinchenko for the final 10 minutes to try and figure out a way to get the win, and they've already removed Erling Holland and Kevin De Bruyne, I don't think Man City are increasing their advantage. In my opinion, Fulham, because all they have to do is have fresh legs to get over the line in a game, when we know that the final moments are where fatigue leads to mistakes. Well, if you can bring out two more players that aren't as fatigued, you reduce the possibility of mistakes. That's just my opinion on it. Do we know how it's going to work out? No, not yet. But I think that the knee-jerk reaction that the five subs are just going to benefit big teams it's a, little, it's a little bit much, right? Take a look at the abolition of the away goals rule. It was initially met with derision from many fans, claiming the game would never be as exciting. It was a very strange caveat to have in the game. It statistically did not work. And uh, proof in the pudding, we had an amazing, thrilling knockout phase of all three of the European competitions this spring. So the argument, it falls flat completely. Now, me personally, I want to preserve the simplicity of the game. As a youth coach, boys and girls age 10 to 18, it just makes it teaching it easier and more gratifying if it's simple. If you take a training session or an activity and you start adding a bunch of rules and restrictions, it stops being the game. For those of you who don't coach, I can tell you that like drills and games that are heavily built on what players are not allowed to do, it alters their behaviors in ways that are unrealistic for the game. They start to devise tactics that aren't really about football. They're about something else. So silly rule changes do matter to me because it is like a part of my job. It's what I do. I really care. But the sport has to evolve intelligently over time without removing the basic principles to keep it as elegant as it really is. Some of these rules have existed. uh, Some of the rules that have existed my entire life You know, I was born in 85. Some of the rules that have existed most of my life, they seem really obvious now and concrete in such a way that thinking the game the way it used to be is bizarre. I mean, the biggest example is the back pass to the goalkeeper with them being able to pick it up. I mean, that that has never been something we're allowed to do in my time playing the game. And it's got a massive impact on the way the game is played and the way it's coached. So, and I think it, it was a really good addition. I think that was a great change. You know, I think one change that was really nice was uh, just being able to take a kickoff backwards without having to take a touch. <laughs> I'll circle back on that in a minute. But look, the sport has to continue to evolve. And I don't think that the change of rules is the thing we should be so, so worried about. Uh, what we need to think more about is the development of the game on a global level. And I know for many of you who just watch it, you're like, well, I don't care. That's not really something I'm interested in. But I want to close out with the final uh, little topic here is Arsene Wenger getting himself into trouble with Conmembol after saying that if uh, Kylian Mbappe had been born in Cameroon, he wouldn't have become the striker he is today. There's Europe and there's the rest of the world. The latter needs help. Otherwise, we're going to miss a great deal of talent. So the South American governing body slammed this statement as disrespectful. Um, I think what they did was 
missed the point. Either Arsene Wenger didn't, you know, I've heard an explanation that he gave on this, so I don't know if it's that he didn't give it at the time. But his point is that these players from these countries, they're not, they're not actually providing the same value to where they come from. So when I was a teenager, I loved watching the Argentine and Brazilian leagues. Players like Carlos Tevez, Esteban Cambiaso, Diego Forlan, Robinho, Diego, Andres D'Alessandro, Pablo Aymar, Javier Saviola, Cunaguero, and then eventually Neymar. I mean, these are guys who became bona fide stars in their home leagues before, before leaving. Some of them flourished in Europe and some of them struggled a little bit, but these were top players and they didn't leave until they showed what they were worth in the first team back home. Now, a lot of young players from Africa and South America recently are leaving much earlier for Europe before they be actually become professionals so that they can seek top-level training and development opportunities to give them the best chance of becoming a professional. Understandable, right? Many have zero first-team appearances before leaving home. So Wenger's point was that these regions need to be helped out to provide more stable and better environments where players can develop at home in their local clubs and local leagues. This obviously would make it so that they can sell the players for a much higher profit and be able to reinvest in their teams and academies. So the idea is to give more support to regions uh, to help them groom their talents instead of shipping them off to Europe right away. I think this makes a ton of sense. How does this get fixed? Well, it takes decades of investment and time and people on the ground in their countries doing great things. It's, it's not a fast solution, no doubt. But it is a much larger issue that plagues the smaller development of football clubs, renders the pyramid to not be as healthy. And in, honesty, in all honesty, rule changes, they kind of pale in comparison because they don't harm people in the game. Like these rule changes we've seen, they don't harm anybody. The fear tends to be that most of this is just done for money by FIFA and, and cynically will destroy the sport. But if you look also at how slowly the game has evolved in terms of the changing of laws, concern and panic just doesn't really feel appropriate. Uh, you know, it took ages for the back pass to be removed. It, it, it took until just a few years ago that we could, like I said earlier, take a kickoff backwards, right? Um, the next, one of the next things Arsene Wenger actually mentioned was allowing corner kicks to swerve out of play and back in play and that that wouldn't be called a you know, goal kick. Well, I think that's a, that's a benign, simple change and it makes it so that you just let, let corners just happen. I think that's a great change. It would be very good. It wouldn't, wouldn't alter anything in a negative way, right? So, look, in conclusion, my position on all this is that people were getting a little too dramatic about the situation, which is why I wanted to bring it up. And Arsene Wenger, look, you got to hand it to him. He brought a lot to the table to improve football over his career. He's the primary force in ending the heavy drinking culture in England. He changed diets, the way players trained, the scheduling, the loads. He took professionalism of the sport to a whole new level. Also, probably one of the best managers in history at taking young players who are completely off the radar and turning them into bona fide professionals. He did this with Gal Clichy, Bakary Sanya, and many, many others who no one knew about, and they became full-on internationals for their country. He's a forward-thinking guy who deserves some respect because these ideas he have are there to improve the sport. Some of them may not work, but there's no reason to panic. Bad ideas will disappear. If you want an example, just look at the old MLS breakaway penalty shootout. That did not last long. So stay positive, folks, okay? Enjoy the game and make it better by just adding an optimistic view on the future. Moaning won't really do anything. 
have fun debates about this, chat with your friends, and, okay. Arsene Wenger, respect. Thanks so much. This is Campfire Football.